0: You are listening to Authentic Falconer, a podcast that promotes falconry, conservationism, and collaborates with real, authentic falconers. My name is Mike Bordenero, master falconer and co-owner of a bird abatement company called The Hawk Pros. I'm sitting down with falconers to discuss hunting and training techniques, lessons they have learned, and obstacles they have overcome through their falconer experiences. And of course, the always entertaining stories that come along with falconry. Okay. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're here with authentic falconer, Peter Stavriano-Dakas. Stavriano-Dakas. Okay. I'll only butcher it one or two more times. Wouldn't be the Um, first. (laughs) Peter is a a defense attorney here in Modesto, um, California, and he's also the president of a nonprofit, American Falconry Conservancy. It's- um, One other thing, kind of a major thing, you might have uh, recognized from—he's in litigation. He's currently um, suing the government and violating uh, Fourth Amendment rights that every falconer is being violated right now, just to have that permit. So we are going to jump into that and unpack into that a little bit later. Um, But first, I want to kind of get to know Peter and have him start off um, his journey in falconry from the very beginning.
1: In the beginning. In the beginning. it starts out like almost everyone's. You watch falcons or hawks fly, and you just, I just became enamored watching these, what I thought gigantic birds, watching my first red tail take off and scream out of the sky. And uh, as a kid, uh, I say kid because I'm an old man now, about 16, uh, I was working orchards, Walnut Orchards, and uh, came upon an injured kestrel, and... Picked it up, took it home, and uh, I hung a branch from the ceiling of my bedroom. And this little kestrel and I, uh, we hit it off. And it wasn't long after that, I was out catching grasshoppers on the gravel in front of my mom's <laughs> house. And knew nothing about falconry. Absolutely nothing other than these birds catch stuff. Yeah. And uh, I had a, a relative, a second cousin, Frank Bartolo. Uh, lived in the Bay Area, San Jose, and he actually had a hawk. He was a licensed falconer. I never knew this, but my mom told him, and uh, he sent me my first falconry book, uh, Mitchells. And uh, I started reading and learning that you don't feed Kestrel's hot dogs, <laughs> though they were really good tidbitting technique as, yeah. a, as a kid. <laughs> and after a couple years of actually getting into falconry by you know having this bird and then uh, coming across others, uh, I learned that you had to get a license. Big surprise. Yeah. And so, uh, how yeah. old were you at this time? I'm now about 19. Oh, okay. So yeah, I played with it for a while before I knew mm-hmm. but this is back in the seventies and nobody was really looking out for a little kid with a Kestrel. So yeah, I didn't really worry about it much. I didn't worry about it because I didn't know anything wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went out uh, on that on that adventure, finding a sponsor, looking for people. Very, very different scenario than it is today. I could imagine. How so? Well, falconry was a uh, a very tight-lipped and close-knit community of of individuals, mm-hmm. not groups. Falconry was not, and whatever really never was a, a group sport. And I went through lists and found. Uh, a falconry book here, a, a California Hawking Club magazine, an old paper stapled together journal. And in it, it had a list of a couple of members. And from that, I went on uh, my search and found, uh, I just got really lucky. The very first guy I found uh, was Richard Lawson, Dick Lawson. And he's a great guy, and we still communicate to this day, and... He said, well, he lived up in Farmington. He goes, well, if you want to come out and, you know, we'll talk. And so I drove up, and I had a little 914 Porsche, and I got out of the car, and he looked at me, and he goes, okay, let's go. And he took his Tursal Gossack out, and we went down the railroad tracks, and up have this jack, and it took after it. We took after them, and, and, uh. We talked for a bit, and he goes, "Oh no!" He goes, "No, I'm going to sponsor you." And uh, years later, he told me why, and he just said, "Well, most guys want to get into falconry. You know, they might see me and find me and come out. You know, they're driving some broken down car. You know, they're not even, you know they're going to pay the money for a license or a permit, let alone build a muse. Oh, okay. And you came in here, you had your, you know, your act together, and yeah. and I said, this is the guy that's going to actually do something." And you know, that's great. We've been friends uh, ever since. And
0: that's funny. His first reaction was he kind of gave you like a pre-qualification to see if you can afford falconry.
1: <laughs> well, he wanted to just check it out. Is yeah. this guy? Am I? Is this guy worth wasting my time? Yeah. And, and then I'm we sure. learned. I, you know I came all the way out just to hang out with him and Hawk and I'm sure you, uh, you'd have to be deaf dumb and blind not to sense my excitement. Yeah. Okay. And the intensity. I and so. Uh and he was great because yeah. he was pretty much hands off. Okay. If I had a question he'd ask me. Uh, he wasn't a dictatorial yeah. type of a, a person who's trying to control what you do and how every how every move you make it must be just uh their specifications. Um I think when he started there probably weren't very many rules or laws or oh, okay. things of that nature it was he had some years on me and uh I hope I'm still kicking like he is. <laughs> but he's a great guy and and
0: uh that's pretty incredible. Yeah. So that you still have a good relationship with him, you said. Is oh. he still hawking or is he He's not.
1: Uh, he came he's had a couple of difficulties health-wise and Oh, okay. Not going into any details about my friend's personal life. Uh yeah. He said I just don't think I'll be able to do what it takes to uh to fly yeah. a hawk.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. It is what it is, but that's great. That's awesome, yeah. you know. But we're he still in that. touch
1: and he still likes to hear the stories and yeah, asks bet. about all the old guys that, that uh he introduced me to and then mm-hmm. and I hung around with. Great um, guy.
0: So he had a goshawk on your first flight. Didn't that kind of spoil it for you? That's like one of the like most exciting birds to see Chase and that you can't fly a goss until well,
1: I don't know what were the regs
0: back then. The Could regs you fly back a then goss?
1: were it was still red tail kestrel. Okay. Yeah. It was still you know, you have to drive a pig before you can ride a horse, which yeah. was ridiculous. And I'm not taking anything against Kestrels or Red Tails. I loved flying like little Kestrel when I had them. And, yeah. and uh, I had a ball with Red Tails. I had an absolute ball with them. But uh, there are some crazy little notions about, well, these are the only two birds you can fly. When What we should be telling people is, what kind of game do you have in your area? Can you find a bird, a hawk that is there that can catch the game you have? Sure, yeah. not, here's the hawk you have to have now. go find the game, whether it's a hundred miles away or not yeah it's, uh ridiculous
0: it's ridiculous like, you're absolutely right. It's like making up the rules and setting it in every different scenario and expecting
1: everyone to follow that but that, but but yeah. that's uh there was a time I guess when people had the same notions of his royalty, you know an eagle for the emperor and a jeer for the king <laughs> and a paragon to his. Hooker, I don't know. So <laughs> it comes right okay. down to it. There's always been this hierarchy of what bird uh-huh. you can have and what status you can have with the bird, and yeah. and there's just really no place for that kind of elitism in in America, let alone <laughs> falconry. But, Amen. but I, it's there. I agree with
0: you on that 100. percent So your first bird was a um, kestrel. Kestrel,
1: yes. Right on. And then you moved on to a, a red tail. A red tail. Well, I, I, I could say moved on, but it's like I'd already flown kestrels, said it came to get time to get a license. Mm-hmm. You know, and after watching, you know, Dick's bird, you know, just tear after that jack. Yeah. Uh, then uh, Redtail seemed like to be the most likely bird for me in it. And okay. I had fun with them. Yeah. There right. were jackrabbits here then. It was fun. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Um, now, a lot of sponsors are, are, like you just said, your sponsor is more of like a hands-off, let you make your own mistakes, and then correct you, I'm I'm guessing, right? Well,
1: I didn't make as many mistakes as I could have. Because I listened. <laughs> okay, and that was my next question. Yeah, what, yeah. what is it that stuck like that
0: he told you that just like carried on with you um, as far as falconry advice
1: or direction? I think the most important advice he ever gave me is that no matter what, the bird comes first. Mm-hmm. The health of the bird comes first over your wants. That getting a bird super sharp so it'll chase and tear after something is not as important as you maintaining a healthy bird because a healthy, strong bird will catch things. Yeah, and uh, the idea of a bird dying on you—and it's is the right horrible. thing to do. You're It's right. the right yeah. thing to do. It is the right thing to do. A lot of people get caught up. <laughs> and uh, he also impressed upon me the time. It's like if you're not going to spend the time, then maybe this isn't for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the and at the time, that was a huge consideration for me. I was young. I was uh, just opened a, a hair salon. I had a, a farming little operation. I was sharecropping. Uh, I, there was all kinds of little things I was doing that mm-hmm. to keep myself employed that took time, but every one of them also gave me my own freedoms for my out time. And, and I got to spend that hawking and yeah. And that was good.
0: Yeah, definitely important. Um, I wanted to ask what is like the most memorable moment, moment from uh, someone else's flight, your flight, just in falconry in general. Like what is the most, the awesomest scene that you can recall of pursuit
1: Okay, uh, then this was through my sponsor, through mm-hmm. Dick. There's a gentleman, and a lot of you old-timers will, will just like to hear the name again, but Doug Carmine, uh, and he was an amazing falconer. He had two falcons, and he had bird, and he had new bird. He had two birds, and one was new bird.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, we were out over uh, between Stockton and Farmington areas at some ponds, and he sent his peregrine up. And I just watched it go, and I just, wait a minute, this is like in the storybooks. You you read about how these people did this, and this actually is now happening before me. The bird just rung straight up over the pond. There were five or six ducks on it, uh, mallards. Mm-hmm. And that thing went up. I, I had no idea of estimating heights at the time, but they told me, and I believed them because they don't have a reason to lie, about 1,200 feet. The bird goes up really high, yeah, and then we flush these birds, and this bird just straight down vertical. There is not 91 degrees, not 89 degrees, just dropped out of the sky. It smashes this duck, and we were maybe 80 feet, 90 feet away from the impact point. Yeah. And it smashed it, pulled straight up. And I guess this one about 300 feet without beating a wing Mm -hmm. and came back down and took a second bird. Oh my gosh. And (laughs) you know, you stand there, you know, your jaws like this and yeah. And, and for Doug, it was like, yeah, he's a good bird. Just (laughs) no expression. Yeah. Well, I don't always get, I mean, doubles is rare, but you know, that's how he flies, you know? And if there's another bird to get, I get, he's going to get it. (laughs) And, um, That's incredible. And I've seen some great flights before, but that one, it was the... Okay, watch that. Now, how do you ever get that again? And, and I've never seen that again. I,
0: yeah. I have never seen, like, a really close um,
1: peregrine smacking a duck or it, anything it's, like that. It's like the duck was going to fly towards us. I don't know what was going on, but it just... It came off the water, and it wasn't the first one off the water. But when it came up... Yeah, it was just so. After that, did that
0: give you the itch to try and start switching over to peregrines, or?
1: Well, I knew I wouldn't be able to get a peregrine. Um, for one, there was no way I could trap one, and two, uh, I didn't have the money to buy one. Oh, okay. And uh, and I always liked the idea of trapping. There's something about taking a bird from nature, mm-hmm. flying it, returning it back to nature. That something about that about that resonated with me. Yeah. And so that began the uh, probably my course of legal actions that we'll talk about later, and yeah, and uh, affected my profession. You know, I was a public defender, mm-hmm. I worked for the county, paying for, not paying for, but working for people that can't pay for their services, uh, and I see. Uh, just picking up on okay, helping out the little guy that's getting beaten up or bullied. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I did want to fly long wings after that. I did. Okay.
0: Uh, now let's move on to your current bird. You have an opalomato. Yes,
1: op-lomato. I fly. A, I fly a little long wing now. You have a long wing, uh, and uh, it's not flown in you know the traditional long wing sense. I'm, okay. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with opalomatos, they're more of a chase bird than a stoop bird. So mm-hmm. they will take a pitch, and this one waits on for me, just you know, fifty feet, seventy feet over my head. It okay. just hovers around me, waiting for the next chase, mm-hmm. versus the big stoop and dive. Uh, and he's just a kick. I've had him for uh, four years now. And uh, he was an imprint bird. Oh, yeah. Imprint. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was just a wonderful little guy. Where'd you pull him, him from? Was Pardon? He?
0: Where'd you pull him from here well, in uh,
1: This bird was actually uh, captive bred in Santa Cruz. Oh, okay. Uh, Bill Murphy had him for the first 10 days. Uh, Hatchet had him for, oh, he was the one that bred the birds. And then, oh gosh, this is horrible. I can't think of the gentleman's name. And he was amazing. That, uh, I've never met him. That's why why I don't, can't think of his name. But he actually did the imprinting. He was going to fly him and changed his mind. And okay. I, I got a bird that was all the places where I would have probably messed up and had nasty little habits mm-hmm. were taken care of by a pro. <laughs> and, yeah. That's... And so very fortunate. Very fortunate he's still alive. It's yeah. It's hard to keep male Oplos from being attacked by something else. I know that very well. I and to uh, fly them. I've had a lot of friends of mine that just fly out told me, Oh, well, don't get too attached and uh <laughs> Yeah. Scared my wife to death. Oh yeah, that's hot candy. Uh-huh. You're flying candy. No. <laughs> um What is
0: he uh, what does he fly at? Uh
1: about two forty five okay. is is a good weight for him. I've flown him as high as two seventy He's not really responsive. He still chases things. He's just not responsive to me. Uh, Sure. uh, But he's not. He's far from weak as as low as 230. I've flown to different ranges. And I've had a lot of falconers with more experience than me say, you're flying him too high. You're going to do better if you fly him a little bit lower. Uh, And they're probably right. Sure. But I used to go back to Dick. Yeah. Saying, you know. You keep In, a strong, healthy bird, and you'll have a bird for a, a long time. Yeah. And Everyone's
0: priorities that. are different, too. So what is your oh, yeah. priority? Do you want to catch game every single time, or do you want to have a good time and have a
1: healthy bird or a longer life? I uh, There's always a balance, but for me, I enjoy watching the bird fly. Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't catch anything, I'm not disappointed. Yeah. Some people are, you know, brag about the bag or... You know, what, how much they cook, you know, that, that term yeah. right about the bag. But uh, I've never really been that way. Yeah. And for a lot of hawking, you know, instead of multiple takes, I'm not downing or dissing anyone that likes to go out and catch multiple heads of game every day if they can because mm-hmm. that's fun. Yeah. But um, I'm pretty much a one and done with, with my birds. Okay. I want my birds to get their exercise. I want them to have a good time. I want to have a good time. And if it's successful at the end of the day with something in the bag, then, then great. Yeah. And if I leave one today, so I can catch it again tomorrow.
0: Okay, I'm happy. <laughs> uh, so, did you originally pre notion before you found this perfect opportunity? Were you already looking for Oplos, or was that
1: actually my? <laughs> I was. Again, this has to do with just being a cheap Greek. I was going to go <laughs> trap a Merlin. <laughs> a I wanted Greek. a small falcon. I decided that um, one. I didn't want to drive all day long looking for game. So there are always small birds around our area. I have lots of open alfalfa fields to fly in. uh, And that seemed to be the style of hawking I wanted to do. And then this opolo just materialized. I just snatched it just instantly. And it's the first time I've ever spent more than $300 for a bird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, you are a thrifty falconer. That's like impossible. <laughs> now, to do. spent money on gear. That's yeah. different. But, uh-huh. but uh, that was nothing wrong with that. I mean, plenty of wild birds out there for for free,
1: right? Well, it still cost you. But yeah. sometimes trapping can be more money than buying. Yeah. But I, uh, I've always liked trapping. I think it's a kick. Um, but I haven't had to for a long time. And I'm also a a one bird falconer. I've tried to, and and I, this is also an old adage. There was a time when uh, one falconer, one wife, two falcons, no wife. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, I have priorities too. My family's important. Yeah. And so I wasn't going to be spending all of my free time out in fields or trapping or chasing
0: so go go through uh, just your training regimen or your, right before you're going out to hunt. Like, what does it look like um, as uh, far it's, as?
1: It's really fast. Yeah. My bird and I, we just we got a little thing going, and I just pick him up, slap on a transmitter, <laughs> <laughs> make sure I have something in the bag to bring him back with, my lure, mm-hmm. some meat, and away we go. Someti- uh, lately, I've been taking my Britneys. Love running in alfalfa fields. Okay, and um, they have not been properly trained. They are <laughs> just fun, but it's amazing just by running around like chickens with their heads cut off, how many birds they kick up. Yeah, and and my falcon, alp, he stoops my my dogs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Can't get him to stoop to a lure, but he'll stoop a dog, and he, no problem. But he knows the birds are coming up around him, and so when they're not doing anything or getting what he wants, he'll just fly over and. Take a pot shot out of it. Yeah. Then fly it's, back over again and wait.
0: But It's really funny how the dogs, um, falconry and the dog relationship, like the birds pick up on that pretty quickly.
1: And they just follow the dogs because they know that's the source. That's where they're coming from. And, well, The crazy thing is, is they're bird dogs. And mm-hmm. the hierarchy of, of all other types of hunting, it's man, dog, bird. And the dogs respect you, but they're after that bird. Yeah. But your hawk, it's sometimes me, sometimes the bird, <laughs> uh-huh. but the ho- the dog is always at the end of that train, and the hawk is always above it because they respect the hawk. Yeah, and it's one thing for if you have a you know a big like a goshawk hawk that could actually do some damage on a snout. Mm-hmm. I've got this little tiny guy that weighs you know roughly eight ounces, a half a pound. Yeah, and he's the shot caller.
0: <laughs> so that's so funny.
1: <laughs> I have a Brittany. They are very sweet dogs. They are. We love ours. Very sweet dogs. And you can see yeah. out here in the river, they spend their afternoons. We come out here and yeah. I sit out in the sand and let them run up and down and mm-hmm. splash in the water. And when we ride our horses, the dogs come with us if it's around the ranch. And oh, yeah. I the was dogs gonna, run. And
0: I was wondering, do you ever um, ride horseback and fly your bird? I know I've some tried it. My hawk
1: does not like my horses. Oh, okay. There's something. I mean, it's a huge animal. Yeah. And so... That was one of the things I was going to do. And there are people, uh, famous people, yeah <laughs> that, Harry, that do Roy. it. And yeah. I probably didn't start that young, young falcon out on the horse. And if I was going to do it over again, I probably would have spent some of those first months just riding. And I've done it. I've taken him out and ride. He'll sit there, but he won't come back with me on the horse. Okay. And then there's also the complication is if you catch something and have to get off the horse, then you've got to worry about a horse loose oh, yeah. and a bird out and a dog out. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't even think about that It's whole coordinating new, uh, all the critters. Uh, yeah. Dog and a hawk's enough to coordinate. Dog, hog, and horse. Yeah. It's, I could see I'm not me. that good of a juggler. Yeah. Well, that makes sense.
0: This is Mike with a quick message. Make sure to subscribe. You won't want to miss out on our upcoming interviews. And also check out the full experience on our YouTube channel, Authentic Falconer. You won't regret it. And now, back to the episode. Got to have that all dialed in if you're going to yeah. go. Um, I wanted to jump into um, Pacific Legal Foundation is who represents you in yes. the litigation. And it's your case versus um, Fish and Wildlife. And I looked up, it was started when January 2019 is when it first opened. Mm-hmm, that's correct. And it's in currently um, ongoing. But the, um, basically, you're challenging the government to change the laws that are infringing upon our Fourth Amendment rights. So go ahead and explain into detail better sure. than I
1: could. So well, we'll t- there are actually two uh, amendments that we're working on okay we have the free speech amendment which we'll go into but the fourth amendment is what brought me to pacific legal foundation and basically that keeps you free from unwarranted searches and seizures in your home without a warrant and falconry has this unusual little tag along um because it was originally a federal permit and all federal permits back then when falconry began uh, as far as licensed falconry began had a clause that if you had a federal permit you could be inspected without a warrant. And this makes sense because it's like tobacco, alcohol and firearms. Sure. Well if you're making guns and ammunition, you might get a random inspection without a warrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in the healthcare industry, for example, uh, someone might come inspect your hospital without a warrant to make sure that you're sanitary uh, and all anything else that might deal with health. Uh, alcohol goes without saying. If you're distilling spirits, we're going to be able to come in and check and make sure that every every bottle, every ounce is accounted for so they're getting their revenue. Mm-hmm. Well, falconry is a personal thing. It's an individual sport. It has nothing to do with public safety. It has nothing to do with making sure that the world is free from people making illegal alcohol or building bombs. Yeah. Uh, but... Because that little caveat, all federal permits require inspection, it attached on to falconry. And in addition to that attaching on, there were some in falconry in the beginnings that also, we have nothing to hide, and to keep our sport pure, you can come into my home anytime you want and see what a wonderful man I am, or woman, but I'm sure it was men at the time. Yeah, Probably white men. Probably rich white (laughs) men. Yeah. but that's how that came about. And then uh, the feds gave it over to the states when they gave up the permitting process. But the states glammed on to that chance to get into our houses without a warrant. And so that's the the basis yeah. for the, the that part of the lawsuit. And then I had a, a personal interaction of a search without a warrant, which I was arrested, handcuffed, thrown in a game warden's car. And that also had to deal with my love for long wings, because Mm. when I became a general, I decided to get a permit to trap a prairie falcon out of Nevada. And Celeste Cushman, which is a game warden's name that only old-time falconers will know, uh, issued me a permit, gave me a letter to go to Nevada, because I wasn't a general yet. Uh And then uh, as soon as I became a general, which was just moments before the trapping season was going to end... I already had my Nevada license, hunting, Nevada uh, falconry license, Nevada trapping permit, uh, banned for a Nevada prairie falcon, export mm-hmm. permit so I could take it out of the state of Nevada. Mm-hmm. And when I asked for my import permits, Celeste Cushman said, we don't issue you the permit until you have the bird.
0: Okay.
1: And I didn't know any better, uh-huh. and so I Crap the bird, had a game warden in Nevada, banned the bird, had all my permits in place, called California, Sacramento. Uh, I have my bird now. I'd like to bring it to the States. I need my import permit. Said, it's okay, bring it on in, and we'll get your permit. Sure. So I come in, and after about three weeks of multiple phone calls, my permit's not here yet, uh, they sent a game warden said I had illegally transported the state lines and brought a Falcon across the state lines with a penalty of $25,000 and five years in federal prison. Whoa. So um, that's how that, that all began, all without a warrant.
0: Mm-hmm. Was it the Utah— Game and warden that came. It was California. Over? It was California that. Yeah, because Nevada was happy
1: with me bringing it over because I had an export permit, but oh, okay. the import permit, the one that allows it into the state, oh, I see, didn't. Okay, and that was withheld on purpose, and uh, fortunately, they had no evidence that I had done such a thing. Mm-hmm. And this is before you were
0: involved in law, right? Oh, way before. Yeah, way before. So, do you think
1: that kind of steered you in the direction of where you're at now? It helped because right then I knew that law enforcement has powers. Yeah. And they exceed, which is just the nature of the beast. You always exceed the power you have hoping you can get a little more. But um, fish and wildlife is notorious for thinking they're above the law, Mm -hmm. that they are the law. And I've repeatedly seen this type of behavior – In fact, the game warden that arrested me used to bring hawks to my house to rehab because he didn't want to mess with them. Really? So I was on a one-on-one, hey, what's going on? How are you doing basis? Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, what did you bring for me to feed today? That kind of a thing. And he brought over handcuffs. Oh,
0: my gosh. Wow.
1: And that's um,
0: another thing. One, you started this... um litigation. I heard about it, but I didn't know too much about the detail, but I heard from other falconers at falconry meets just the kind of overall feel. And they're like, they wanted to stay out of harm's way. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. They don't want to be the next target. Um, so a lot of people kind of distance, distance themselves from the whole, um, litigation. Oh, and me too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I can imagine you as well. (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) okay. Lovers, haters. I don't care. Bottom line, we're all going to benefit when this is over. Yeah. That's just – and uh, I didn't do it for thanks and pats on the back. I did yeah. it because it's the right thing. It's the right
0: thing to do, yeah. And um, the uh, the other thing that I saw in the lawsuit, it also affects your wife because you're married. They're infringing on her rights just because she married a falconer.
1: That That's exactly correct. Um, Katie's also – Catherine's a plaintiff in the case. Here I – uh, not voluntarily, it's either sign this document or we take your bird away, um, are, you know, essentially in, in the eyes of this law, have forced to give up a constitutional right to get a permit, which is illegal. That in of itself is illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my wife never signed such papers. She isn't a falconer. But if I'm not home, that's her house too. And she has no protections from Fish and Wildlife, because they don't think that the Constitution applies to anyone who lives with a falconer. Mm-hmm. So, and that's no way to live, wondering, the, yeah. you know, who's the next person going to knock on your door? Yeah. So, uh, and are they going to be armed? And for those of you that watch the video, you'll, you would have seen Fred Seaman, what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Three armed guards, you know, the three armed game wardens come in, one Demands him out of the house, then blocks the front door so he can't even get back into his own home. And they keep him out in his underwear for 45 minutes. Bulletproof best to do an inspection. Hmm. Armed to the teeth to do an inspection. You need a clipboard and a pencil to do an inspection. Yeah. All without a warrant.
0: And didn't he schedule an inspection with them? They called to schedule it.
1: On that date, uh, when you move facilities or change facilities, you're supposed to. I've relocated. Come look at the same stuff I had at my old house at the new house. Mm -hmm. And so he had actually called in, set up an inspection. And instead of coming down the day of the inspection, they came down the morning before, uh, broken a locked gate, came onto his property, coerced him out of his house, kept Mm -hmm. him from going back into his house, and then uh, finally uh, allowed him the chance to put on a pair of pants and take some necessary medication and mm-hmm. and uh wow. then go on with the inspection. Yeah. Um there was
0: another thing I noticed in there um and it was kind of the the wording. It said that you are also um the government regulates falconer speech. And I kind of understood but didn't. I wanted to ask for elaboration on that. Well
1: if you give a talk about falconry. Uh, a falconry exhibition per se, go to a school, go to a Boy Scout, Girl Scout, little organization, someone asks you to speak about your bird and bring it and show it to some kids. Yeah. There are requirements of things the government tells you, you must say inside your educational program. Okay. Uh, specifics about you know falconry and their care and their protected status and all these different things. Then they prohibit you from collecting a fee for that. So if you travel 100 miles, you could write off your mileage and get that reimbursed. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, you stayed for a couple days, none of that's can be recompensated. So that's oh, – it's wow. illegal. And then um, you can't use your bird in any movies unless the movie is a falconry movie. Mm-hmm. So um, – Or you have an extra
0: entertainment permit, which is a whole other issue. Well, even
1: then. Oh, even then. Even then, because if the bird falls under any of the species that the Migratory Bird Treaty Act uh, affects, that's MBTA, affects, then if those birds are affected, you can't use those birds. Mm -hmm. Um, The one that comes to mind most often is uh, Falcon and the Snowman. Well, falcon's in the title. Yeah. But they couldn't shoot the falconry scenes in the United States. They had to go trap a prairie falcon in Mexico and shoot those, film, those sequences in Mexico.
0: I had no idea.
1: Yeah, crazy. <laughs> it's like, here, I have a prairie falcon. Can we film my bird? Oh, no, you can't. Well, can I go to Mexico and film it? Well, yeah, if, he, it's, if you use a Mexican falcon. So there's still hawks and falcons and birds. There's still eagles in movies and, and different clips. and. But where, where are they from? They're not from the U.S., And they're filmed out of state. So we have a treaty with Canada and Mexico that these birds that fly through the Pacific Flyway and all the other ways that travel across the Americas uh, to make sure that those birds are protected. So the same bird that we're protecting in the Migratory Bird Treaty Act by this supposed free speech impingement, it's okay to use that bird in Canada. It's okay to use that bird in Mexico. But it's dangerous to the bird to film it in the United States because that middle section is, oh, my God, Falcons just die instantly if they were filmed in a movie there.
0: What could possibly be the reasoning? Like, Who would stand to gain anything from
1: that logic? Nobody. But it's a restriction. Poorly written? Uh, I think, again, at the time when a lot of these regulations were were made, there are people that believe, and I, I still believe in part of this, That falconry is the pursuit of game with a bird of prey. And that's the little definition, and that's the bracket. Okay. And if you do anything outside of that, you've broken some elitist code of falconry. I see. Now, if you did that same thing and filmed it, well, if it was a film for falconry, I'm filming how to catch a a bird. I'm filming my bird in action. Mm -hmm. But if you put that in the context of a movie... You've broken the brackets. You've broken the code, mm-hmm. and uh, the rationale the government uses, which is no rationale, uh, at least in the lawsuit, their answer reply uh, provided no rationale, was that this will harm the birds. It's for to protect the birds, so we won't let anyone exploit them. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And- <laughs> yeah,
0: it definitely is uh, contradictive. Uh, I wanted to ask you. I had some questions from someone. Um, on Instagram, and he I wanted me to ask you these things here. So let me find it real quick. And so he wanted to ask me about if you knew anything about um, the spa permit, the special purpose abatement permit, and how um, abatement um, people cannot use apprentices in certain states. Um
1: because supposedly it goes against the the state laws. I'm not the best versed, but I can share this with you. I, I don't fly abatement birds. I've okay. never uh, had a situation in which I would ever be hired to do so. Though I've used birds to chase uh, things off my own property, that's a different story. Yeah. But there's this concept that an apprentice can only fly these to specific birds, and in yeah. different states it's different. Alaska used to be able to fly goshawks as an apprentice, because mm-hmm. there are more goshawks there than redtails. It's about a quantity, and I guess the fishing Game Department says, so what if we lose a red tail to a, an apprentice that doesn't know how to feed a bird? Another one will come along. The mortality rate so great, and there's so many. Uh, but the fact is that every state has different rules mm-hmm. about how they want to treat uh, abatement. Use the falcony birds for abatement. Uh, it's not really that logical at all why an apprentice can't fly any bird that his the abatement permit has. Mm-hmm. Because basically you're doing the same thing regardless of what bird it is. You're putting a bird up in the air. You're watching the bird as It chases away whatever uh, uh, predating creatures out there eating your grapes or berries or whatever that might be. And then you're bringing it back. Yeah. So there's, there's no real logic to it.
0: I mean— the, um, the spa permit is a federal permit, and then the states have their own laws. So does the states trump whatever the federal permit says? Is that how that works?
1: Well, not necessarily. The restrictiveness of a state law can be greater than that of the feds. Okay. It can't be less than that of the feds. So the feds say oh. you can't do this. Okay. But you can do all these other things, and the state can say, "Well, you can't do this, but I'm also going to prohibit this and this." Okay. It's the uh, so that's what's happening in this specific
0: scenario, and that's not
1: spa related. That's as a general rule of law. Okay. You can't be less restrictive than the federal government. All right. I think the only place where that's actually happened uh, is in our marijuana laws, because the state, the feds restrict completely, but states aren't as restrictive. Um, they're just not doing anything about it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, The other question, kind of tailing back to um, retaliation based off of ruffling, you know, challenging and suing the government, is there any worry that either state or federal could come back and try and do something, let's just say, as drastic as taking falconry away or anything in between? They have flat-out
1: threatened that. Really? At meetings that I have been at, we've gone to commission meetings, uh, Fish and Wildlife for California commission meetings, and they just flat out said, Look, we don't have to work with you guys. You've been doing this for a while. We think falconry's cool, basically. But, you know, we could just take falconry away from you. That veiled threat, uh, that bullying type of behavior and comments that are made by people in the upper management of fish and wildlife, both the Game Commission and through their enforcement branches. Uh, it's just another form of bullying and intimidation. Mm-hmm. And could they? Quite frankly, I don't think that they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fed's permitted it. It's permitted other migratory burden. Uh, uh, the MBTA permits it. Uh, and one of the issues is, is that This is a cultural activity that is 20 times older than hunting with a gun. Think about it. How long has gunpowder been around? How long ago did they carve falcons on fists in the pharaoh's tomb? This is a, a culture and tradition that has passed from not just generations. We're talking millennium and for one agency to say well under the migratory bird uh, treaty act we're going to take away falconry because we think it's bad for the birds when there's no scientific evidence that falconry has any impact any negative impact of anything we might not even have peregrine falcons alive in this whole continent if it wasn't for the birds falconers birds that were donated to breeding projects for re-release into the wild. Yeah. Or the eggs that were snatched out from wild birds with eggshells too thin to survive that were replaced with captive bred birds that were falconer's birds because nobody else was breeding them but falconers. Mm -hmm. So to reintroduce into the wild what might have been lost and to say you can't have it, thank you for reintroducing it, you can't have it again, when there's absolutely zero... Zero impact is just ludicrous, yeah, Falconry does a lot
0: of good for the sport and for just the environment as far as keeping birds alive, helping people. Uh, I'm sure you got introduced by Falconry helping a bird that was injured. It happens, and uh you know it's the good nature, it's the people that are intrigued that take the time and the detail to uh, to try and help them so
1: and and to make people know. aware
0: absolutely, yeah.
1: I mean, even the the rodent sides that we use so commonly, Mm -hmm. you know, the impact has. Well, so your gopher died, but you just killed that nesting pair of red tails because they carried up tainted meat to their nest. That kind of awareness of the ultimate impact of what we do here, if you don't have that poster child, which is the pretty bird that you just killed, versus the dead rat, which everyone wants to see gone. Yeah. If you don't have anything something to balance that out, the environment loses.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you, let's say you win the litigation. What exactly is your ideal outcome of um, the um, closing this case?
1: Oh, there are, well, there are two aspects of it. The first is that they just simply strike the unconstitutional language in the regulations. They don't have to rewrite them. They just put a blue line right through unannounced inspections. Mm-hmm. Now, they have the right to inspect a property where you're going to be housing a bird. Well, if I'm filling out a permit and say, okay, I want a permit for this, and the government says, well, I want to make sure you have the proper facilities for it before I give you that permit. There's a nexus there, some justifiability there. Yeah. But they don't come to your house and say, gee, I understand you want to get a dog. I want to come into your house and make sure you have a water dish, a food dish, a blanket for it to sleep on, a fenced-in enclosure area, and a collar and a leash. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't show me that let me come into your house, I'm not looking to have you die, let you have that dog or that cat. Well, people would be up in arms about even that part of an inspection. Definitely. But what difference is it? I have a dog. The dog chases birds. I have a bird. The bird chases birds. They're both in my house. They're both my pets. I know that'll cause a lot of angst with falconers, but let's face it. (laughs) If you're keeping an animal and you're stroking the feathers on that animal and you're feeding that animal, even though it's a hunting animal. Sure. Um, It's just a a name that makes some people cringe, but I don't have a problem with it. I love my, my bird.
0: Yeah, people show, I mean, everybody has a special connection with their falconry bird. If you're in falconry, you just, you're connected with nature one way or the other. You and can't help it. Yeah, it's, it's incredible.
1: That imprinting is cross imprinting, let me tell you. <laughs> we become <laughs> in to their needs. Yeah. And uh, master and servant, I have to tell you, those roles interplay. Mm-hmm. Anyone um, who sat underneath the tree and waited till morning for their bird to come down, Who's the master there? (laughs) Yeah, definitely, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, Just to play
0: a little bit of devil's advocate on your your last spiel on the the dogs and the cats, I can see how you can relate them kind of as a broad blanket and say they're pets. Um, But they are specialized if you don't have the proper knowledge and care. I mean, you obviously know we have to get all of these um, licenses, and you got to pass tests, So they're not easy to take care of, like, a dog where you can just throw a bowl and say, yeah, anyone can take care of a dog. So, I mean, you're not advocating, obviously, anyone can just have a bird of prey, um, I'm hoping, without the
1: proper education and training. Well, that's exactly it. You don't need to take a test to have a pet dog. Mm -hmm. But there is a test you have to have. You have to have a knowledge base. And if you don't pass that test, Fish and Wildlife... They don't sign off on your ticket. You don't get a bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have right now a sponsor. That means someone who's willing to say, I will mentor you for two years. I will be there to answer your questions. I will be there to assist you when you need it. I will be here to oversee to make sure that you're doing the right thing by your bird. I mean, you're ultimately responsible. Yep. How many other creatures have that before someone can take possession of them? None that I know of. So the yeah. idea of coming into the house, coming to your property, not the case. Let's look at the other big hunting thing.
0: Okay.
1: How many gun hunters that take a test and do an education program, in fact, falconers take the hunter safety course. I remember that, We yeah. take a hunter safety course for guns without having a gun to shoot. And that's mm-hmm. a prerequisite to take the test for the falconry test. Ridiculous. Yeah. But... Do you think they come out and say, well, we're going to inspect your home. Do you have a safe place to keep that gun? I mean, guns, you can die from a misused firearm or a misplaced yeah. or an unlocked. But there's no inspection for that. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I think fish and wildlife are just afraid of people with guns. They're just not afraid of falconers because what are we going to do? Sick our bird on you? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, not likely. Okay. Okay. I think the big power is how much we love our animals. So when they threaten to take away what you love, yeah, it's a huge issue. A huge issue.
0: Uh, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. We're almost wrapping up here, sure. um, and a couple of fun things, maybe some advice. Um, favorite falconry book that you would recommend to people?
1: Could be the first one you. had. I, could be. <laughs> gosh. Or even like, a movie. I like B.B.'s book. I I really liked him and, and admired that that guy.
0: What's so, the title of it? Do oh, you remember?
1: I forget. It's been so long since I've lo- looked at a falcon. I, you know, you read something so many times and you just never pick it up again because <laughs> <laughs> uh, North American Falconry. Okay. It was North American Falconry. All right. Uh, when I got my first Prairie Falcon, he had actually autographed uh, a big, oh, awesome. thick book for me.
0: Very cool. Who and would, then a... Go ahead oh, Go ahead. You had one more.
1: And then my, the my we used to call him Uncle Frank, but my uh, my second cousin got me my first book. Uh, he had just given me from uh, what was it King Frederick's book? Ah, uh. it's a nice <laughs> thick book with Old, old English Terms. Is it, and is it hard to read? I'd imagine it would be like it's <laughs> uh, it's fun to read, but okay. you know I can't find you know a Tiger's heart to feed my bird for the oh. special times. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, specialties.
0: Back then, that wasn't uh, on the endangered list. I guess you could just get Tiger's Heart at the market. Yeah, just go to the store. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Favorite falconer of all time that you've been with, that you've known, that you've seen? Maybe you've never met him.
1: Well, he's still alive, so it's really odd that I... (laughs) Well, obviously, my sponsor is is in that group, but... um, Bill Murphy is someone that has helped my falconry long immensely. Um, uh, first guy to take me out to Harrow Dunes and fly my red tail out on Cottontail in the dunes there. And, um, he raised my first hawk. You know He bred my first Hawk. And he's been just a huge proponent for falconers. Mm-hmm. And he was very supportive of me and, and the things that I've done. And he's just... Just an overall amazing human being. So, so if he's watching this, um, I'm sure his head won't inflate. His wife will probably give him an elbow. <laughs> uh, but uh, he'd be on the,
0: in the awesome. top list. Yeah. Uh, last question. Um, it's two parts. You might already have your favorite bird. I don't know. But what is your favorite bird to fly or dream bird? And then what do you actually get out of falconry at the end of the day? Why do you do the sport?
1: Well, I love the bird I've had. And I've never had so much fun flying a bird as I've had with my little Aploi Aries. So that's that. But dream bird's a different story. Okay. <laughs> the dream bird I've had in my mind for got the first time I picked up a book and saw a picture was I always have wanted an ornate hawk eagle. And oh, I am man. not alone in that. And yeah. it's like, yeah, it's like everybody, you know, wants a Ferrari or whatever. But, mm-hmm. but the ornate hawk eagle was the the bird that just captured me when I first saw a picture. Yeah, and that's it. Um, that's one of my favorites too, actually. Yeah. And so here I'm at a stage now where, gee, I'm living in a state where I can't find a jackrabbit without driving forever, and I want to fly a bird that makes me drive again. <laughs> yeah. So gonna, it might be a dream to some, a nightmare to others. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: Not too many monkey slips for your ornate hawk eagle here, right? No, 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 <laughs> not at all. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate you, you know, giving me the time and uh, just to share the, you know, your knowledge and wisdom and falconry and uh, on the legal side as well, which a lot of people probably didn't know the whole story. And I didn't before sitting down with you. Well,
1: thank you for giving me a chance to share a bit with it. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, as again, you mentioned Pacific Legal Foundation, I, and I, have it properly thank them Mm -hmm. these folks came out of nowhere i uh literally was looking for the filing papers Mm -hmm. against fish and wildlife and is scorping through all these different vast quantities and with my friend troy morris who is very instrumental said hey these people have taken on fish and game and kicked their ass Mm -hmm. and i contacted them and the very first thing they said after i described what was going on he goes Why do you want to do that? That's what we do. And they took the case on. Wow! So And for free. It's a free foundation that Uh deals with people's rights and especially constitutional rights. Those first ten, they're super important and we have to fight for them every day.
0: So how can people um, keep up
1: on the status of this um, case? Oh, super easily. Uh, If you go to their website, they also have a Facebook page, Pacific Legal Foundation. If you go onto their webpage, you can see the the video that was shot uh, that we used uh, to one promote the ideals of what this lawsuit stands for, uh, and it's also up for an award, a documentary award in the Anaheim oh Awards, Wow I Anaheim Film Festival in uh, July. And it's so four and a half minutes of your life. It, it, <laughs> it'll it'll fly that. by. Are you the star of that movie too? Uh, the hawk's the star. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I'm a I'm a supporting actor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can't take any pay for that, right? Thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> I'm <laughs> glad you Peter. came all the way out. Hope
0: that's- Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, guys. That does it for this podcast. If you want to hear more, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram. Just do that key search, Authentic Falconer, and tag us on any of your posts. We'd love to follow along on your experiences and your journeys. Buy some merchandise at AuthenticFalconer.com if you want to support the channel. And hopefully, we'll see you on the next one. Have a great day.